But I just want to bring you greetings from the district. Uh, when I came here uh, in 2015, there was about 65 churches. And right now we have 104. So we've yeah. planted over 40 churches, much like this, across the state. Uh, that's taken a, yeah, that's taken a, <laughs> praise God. That's taken a lot of dreaming and a lot of discernment as we follow the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so God is doing a new work. He's breathing life into uh, churches that some would have said were dying four or five years ago. There's new life being breathed into those. Uh, churches that have been through crisis type situations, he's breathing new life into those. And so we're just giving him all the glory and honor. And when I see, meet someone as hungry as your pastor and his wife, I love your pastor and his wife, by the way, don't you? Praise God. Let's hear it for him. Um, but when I see someone as hungry for a move of the Holy Spirit in the presence of God to be realized among a group of people, uh, man, I'm all in. I'm like, let's just do this thing, you know. And so, so right now, God's given me a vision uh, that I, I hope it's okay with Brad for me to share this. But the King's Church is part of a bigger vision that I have because we right now have, uh, like I said, many church plants, but three that are strategically located and have the sort of DNA that we're looking for to continue to multiply. You are one of those. Uh, we have one called River City in Louisville. Uh, we have King's Church here in, uh, in the Lexington Metro. And then we have a church called Center Point, which is right down around Lake Cumberland. So, so we're north, south, and east. Now we've got to get one like this over in the west. And we've got four points, okay? North, south, east, and west on the district. And I want these four churches to become breeding grounds for revival all right for us to send pastors that are going to plant churches to to spend time in these environments so they can go out and be the hands and feet of jesus amen so that's that's my dream i hope i don't scare y'all that i'm dreaming big for you all right um but but to, to get into the word this morning uh, we're going to be in first john chapter four if you want to turn there several verses there we'll be looking at but i think you would all agree with me if I were to say the best way for us to describe God is to say that God is love. Uh, I mean, not often the kind of love that, that we understand love in our context, but God is agape. I mean, he's all in, self-sacrificing. That's the kind of love God is. And, and so everything that God does, it sort of flows from this wellspring of love. And it just naturally flows from him because that's who he is. And he the only reason he created us is because his love was so immense, right? He created us because he loves us. Guess what else he does? He draws us because he loves us. You know, you wouldn't have a remote desire to engage the things of God. You wouldn't have a remote desire to be in this atmosphere today if the, if the Holy Spirit, if God himself was not drawing you or wooing your heart into this place. And why does he draw you or woo you? Oh, that's kind of a romantic sort of language, isn't it? He woos you because he loves you. <laughs> he wants you. You know, even his discipline, the Bible says he chastens those whom he loves, even when he corrects us. Why? It's because he loves us. Some people run from the feeling of conviction that God brings upon their life. Conviction from the Holy Spirit is our friend. It's the Holy Spirit working in our heart to show us that there's something off. And he wants to get our spirit aligned with his again. Why? Because he loves us. So if God created us in his image and likeness, then that means God made us to love. <laughs> 
Right? He made us to love like he loves. And when we learn to love like Jesus, guess what happens? We start to look like Jesus. <laughs> when we love like Jesus, we start to reflect the image of Jesus. And when we reflect the image of Jesus, we become bearers of his glory. And that's how his glory spreads to the ends of the earth. That's how his kingdom comes in Kentucky as it is in heaven. Through his image being bore through us. Amen. So, so 1 John chapter 4, let's stand together as we read in honor of the word of the Lord. Man, I love the Bible. I love the Bible. I love that God has given us his word on paper, right? John, 1 John chapter 4 verse 7, beloved, I could preach for an hour on that one word. I love the name of your church, King's Church. Do you know that the, you're the beloved of the King? You are much-loved sons and daughters of the Most High King. You are beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. That word knows, if you were to do a deeper study on that word in the Greek language, you would realize that that word has a lot to do with intimacy. It's not knowing about someone. It's knowing someone. Everyone who is born of God uh, loves, uh, is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent His only begotten Son to the world that we might what? Live. Say live. I don't know about you, but I want to live. <laughs> live that we might live through Him in this love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins or to take our place. Again, beloved, look at your neighbor and say beloved. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. For no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. In other words, they see God in us. He abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. And by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. Amen. He, we are hosts of the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Let us pray. Lord, we love You and we honor You today. Even deeper, God, we, ad we adore you today. Lord, you are the desire of our heart. And God, you're doing a new work here. Your love is being manifested through these people that, that are your body, that, that are your bride. And so, God, I pray that we'd be pleasing to you. I pray you'd be honored through the word today. Uh, let us hear something new and fresh. Stir our spirits. Change us. May we be different when we leave than when we came as we manifest the love of Jesus. We love you and honor you in Christ's name. Together we say amen. You, you may be seated. You know, John makes it absolutely clear that the controlling principle of the universe... <laughs> You know, it's not some abstract idea about love, but it is the, uh, it is the sovereign, it is the love of a sovereign living God who is himself the essence of agape. Now, because God's very nature is love, that means that everything that's good flows from God. You know, goodness is not something we manufacture. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? So the good things that become part of our life flows from the wellspring of God's love. That means that the grace of God made known in your life is God's love being extended to you. 
<laughs> that means that the mercy of God, not giving you that which you deserve, is God's love at work revealing a deeper part of himself to you. All those things are good, and they flow like a river from the heart of God because God is love. Now, he asked us to abide in Christ. And I think that's a very important word. I, I love the word abide. And if you were to do a word study on that, you would understand it to mean to linger. To dwell. To reside. To occupy a space. Let me just make it real practical. Build a house and live. All right, <laughs> just, just make you a spot and live there because to look like Jesus is the only way we're ever going to live like Jesus. If we're going to live like Jesus, we're going to have to reflect his image and his image is love. So if we're going to look and live like Jesus, we're going to have to let the wellspring of love flow from our heart all the time. Praise his name. Now, in, in order to truly understand this in a deeper capacity, what it means to, to bear the image or to reflect the image, because it's interesting that God created us in what? His image and likeness. Now, certainly that doesn't mean physically, right? But it means to, to, to bear the things that God is. And so I want to talk to you for just a moment about the day that God's image died in us. Because that was a very sad day. Uh, in the Garden of Eden, God told Adam and Eve, basically, what did he tell them? You can partake of anything in the Garden except what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just this, just this one thing. God supplied all they would ever need for life at its fullest. The kind of life that abiding leads us to. Life at its fullest. Yet for love to truly be reciprocal, right? There has to be a choice. And I love that God gave them all these options, all this life at its fullest, and then there was just, just, just one little choice. It's like he wasn't giving them much of a choice, but he knew for love to be returned, there had to be some other option. And that one thing ended up robbing Adam and Eve of everything God created them to be. And in essence, it robbed us. And, and, and God instructed them that the day that they ate of the fruit of that particular tree, what would happen? What did he say would happen? They would what? Surely die. <laughs> they, would, they would absolutely die. Now, we know what happened. Uh, Adam and Eve didn't fall over dead physically. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that when we find ourselves in some place outside of God's will that we don't expire immediately, aren't you? His grace is better than that. So, so what died? Well, typically I think we would say that they died spiritually, Right? I don't think that's complete, though. I don't think that goes far enough. Well, of course we know they died spiritually, and therefore sin entered the world, which is why we must be born again, right? That's why we got to be born again. If we're going to reflect His image, if we're going to abide in Him, if we're going to be part of the royal family, we got to be born again. Why? Because we inherited Adam's sin. So again, what died on the day that they ate the fruit of the tree? I'll tell you what died. Everything they were created to be died. Everything God created them for died. The image of God in them died that day. Hmm. In other words, they lost their identity. And that's a big deal. Everybody's searching for identity. Just look around. 
They lost their identity. The most important thing that they could have, namely the image of their creator. So, you know, our theological definitions of sin, missing the mark or whatever, you know, that it's much bigger than that. They just didn't fall short or miss some sort of a mark. They took on the nature of God's enemy that day. And as a result, what happened? The agape in them died. The sacrificial love of God in them died. And then you remember what happened next. Here comes God. He asked Adam, Adam, did you eat the fruit of the tree? What did Adam do? It's her fault. I'm pointing at her. <laughs> it's, it's not my fault, Lord. He, blamed, he shifted the blame, right? That's what self-centeredness does. It shifts. It always shifts the blame. She told me to eat it. In fact, I think Adam went a little further than that. In, 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 in one sense, he was sort of blaming God. God, it's, it's really your fault because if you hadn't gave me her, I mean, look at what has just happened. He's gone from walking in the cool of the day in intimate fellowship with God to blaming God for his, for his mistake, for his own sin. Hmm. Did you ever grow up? When you were growing up, did you ever live at the expense of another person? Sure you did. Come on. Man, I got two brothers. We always lived at the expense of one another. And I'm the oldest, so I, got, I, got, I won a lot. You know? If you got siblings, in, in, I mean, if, I don't know what kind of childhood you had, but I mean, we were always trying to outdo one another. You know, we were always, when we would get in trouble doing something, we, whose fault was it? It wasn't mine. It's his fault, Dad. <laughs> one time, uh, my middle brother and I were... Uh, when we were growing up, we, we lived right beside the church. My mom was the custodian for the church, and so we got to live in this house that the church owned for, for free. That was our rent, and there was this little cul-de-sac uh, down at the end of the street, and in that cul-de-sac, there wasn't any houses on it. It was all woods and bushes, and we had all of our trails and forts, and I mean, everything cool that happened when we were kids happened, in, and that seemed like the biggest, I mean, man, we thought we were living in the Shire, you know, I mean, it, it was just the greatest thing ever, but we had all these trails and, and things through these thickets, and my brother and one of his friends, I had them hemmed in, and, and I was throwing these, he says they were rocks, I thought they were just little tiny pebbles, they couldn't hurt, but I was flinging them in there, you know, and I would hear an ow, and I was like, oh man, I had them, I had them figured out, you know, I knew where they were hiding, and I would hear an ow, and then all of the sudden, this gigantic Oh man, it seemed like it was this big. Rock come flying out of those bushes, hit me square in the top of the head. Blood started flowing down my face. My brother got me. I took off running home. Dad, 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 what happened? Run to the hospital. Um, man, I get my head shaved. I got to put 10 or 12 stitches in there. And so we got back and my brother got a whipping and he deserved it. And then he told dad what really happened. And had his buddy to back it up. And guess what? Now, I know y'all are, are some, y'all don't give whippings, do you? I can tell. Listen, just understand, I, different day and time, okay? I, let me just tell you, I was a bad kid, all right? I deserved a lot of them. Way worse than any kid in this place, all right? But when I got home, I got a whooping. Now, whooping back then was different than a whipping. you understand? <laughs> whoopings are worse than whippings, all right? How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? I'm sorry, this might be offensive to some of you. Please forgive me. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> and, and you know what? I, got, I ended up getting a trip to the hospital and 10 stitches to boot, and my brother 
Well, uh, all he got was a little whipping, and he deserved it. And guess what? You know what? I'm, I think I'm still mad about that. <laughs> what? Prayer time. We'll pray for me at the end. Yeah. I'm just kidding. But uh, I have so many of those stories. But the point of the matter is, I can tell you many of those stories where my brother and I lived at each other's expense. And no matter what happened, it was always the other person's blame. And that is the fall at work in our lives. That is human nature. We're born with it. It is self-preserving. It doesn't naturally look out for the betterment of the other person. It naturally loves itself more than it loves anything else. Human nature is not instinctively sacrificial. It's just not. It doesn't naturally want what is best for everybody else. It wants what's best for itself. That's what it means for the nature and image of God to die in us. So, so let me talk to you for a moment about what it means to be restored to the image of God. Because that's the good news, isn't it? To be restored to his image. This is why life in Christ is so important. And I've come to realize that the Christian life really is more of a romance than it is a science. You know, we're, I love the Song of Solomon. Uh, because it, it, it's about Solomon and, and his Shulamite bride, which is a type of Christ and a type of the church, right? And it's all about pursuit, and it's all about desire, and it's all about intimacy. And, and when someone is born again, as, our, as John has written, when they're born of Christ, that what happens is they get the image of God reinstated in their life. They become the new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things are becoming new. Hallelujah. And being born again, though, and this is why I say it's more of a romance than a science, because it is a pursuit. You understand? I've been pers I didn't just figure Heather out and then everything's locked in from there. I'm still figuring Heather out, all right? I'm still pursuing her after 30 years, and, and a lot of you guys can say amen to that, right? But being born again is much more than a ticket that gets me an entrance to heaven when I die. Being born again is about being restored to the truth about why I was created in the first place. It, it, it's less about me going to some eternal destination after this life and more about that eternal destination coming in my life now. It's less about heaven later and more about heaven now. Amen. And too often though, I think we would admit that I think too often a lot of Christians miss the victory that Christ has accomplished. How many of you know he's accomplished our victory? I mean, it's already ours. But too often we sort of lean into those dysfunctional mindsets or emotions of the old person, right? We sort of lean into stuff that we were raised with. And the problem with that is God didn't give us all of those dysfunctional emotions that we were raised with. Adam did. So, so, so you have to understand those things, those insecurities, those feeling like you're not sufficient, the anger, uh, whatever it may be, whatever might manifest that's deeply rooted in you. Adam gave you those emotions. God did not teach us to be angry. God did not teach us to be offended. God did not teach us to be at odds with people because they're different than us. Those things came natural to us because we inherited Adam's nature. Now, 
Friends, when God's image is restored in you, Jesus gives us an invitation to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. And the idea behind those words is that we were never made for ourselves anyway. And when we realize that, we learn to live life at its fullest in Christ. We learn to enjoy every second of the journey because in that we understand that we become complete in Christ without any additives. A problem in the church today is Jesus is an addendum to the Christian life. Everybody's got all these other activities, all this other stuff that their life revolves around and Jesus is a hobby. Jesus is a, a, an hour a week, a couple hour a week deal. In other words, he's nothing more than what I said earlier, a ticket to some other place. There's no realization. They've said a prayer someday and made Jesus somewhere at some point and made Jesus their Savior where Jesus has done something for them and forgiven them of their sins. But they have not realized that the identity of God is trying to be restored in their life. See, I don't like saying Jesus, when somebody prays and becomes a Christian, Jesus is now your Lord and Savior because those are two very different words. When he saves us, he does something for us through the cross at Calvary and the cross works every single time my friends the cross works your sins are forgiven through Christ's finished work on the cross but when he becomes lord of your life that's when he becomes master that's when he becomes commander that's when he becomes ceo you understand he's invited into every crack and crevice every emotion every dysfunction everything that doesn't work out and work right he wants to be invited into your mess because he is the best at cleaning up messes When we understand this, we become complete in Christ without any additives. I think that that's why when you met me and you thought one thing, is because I don't live for those things. I refuse to live for numbers. You know why? Because I used to, when I was pastoring, you, you know what would happen? You know, there would be seasons where the church was doing good and then seasons where it wasn't doing so good and seasons where everybody was getting along and then seasons where nobody. And so I was always as good as that thing was going. Jesus didn't die for me to be as good as those things are going. He died for me to be as good as he is in me and it doesn't get any better than that. And he's in me whether the numbers are good or whether the numbers are bad. And he wants an intimate relationship with me whether everything's going fine or whether it's not. So regardless of my finances, regardless of my situation, regardless of the stress, regardless of whatever's impacting my life, I've learned that if I can just be in intimacy with him and allow his image to be reflected in my life, then he works all that other stuff out. It's called seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and him taking care of all the rest. Amen. I think the emotion of anger, maybe more than any other today, clearly illustrates the nature of sin because the only reason we would ever give in to anger as Christians, is, or, as, or even as pre-Christians, is because we're trying to preserve or protect or, 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 or satisfy self in some way, right? Anger is essentially a defense mechanism that's prompted by fear when we perceive that someone is going to take something from us, when we believe that someone's going to try to, to get us, you know. And so we go into defense mode, and, and, and now I, I'll tell you, I mean, y'all got a lot of kids around here. Uh, go jerk the pacifier out of one of them's mouth and see what happens. Right? You'd rather not, right? Somebody said, I'd rather not. Right, why? Because, uh, you, you know, that, a baby that can't even speak or walk yet, 
You take something from it that it doesn't want you to take, what will it do? It will pitch a fit. Why? That's the effects of the fall. It's trying to preserve something. It's def it's, it gets defensive. <laughs> and that is why we must be born again. <laughs> Thanks be to God. You see, and, and when God's image gets restored in us, here's how we live Nobody owes me anything because he's already given me everything. Nobody owes me anything. Nobody can take anything from me because he's already given me everything. You see, grace woke me up today to drive over here to King's Church just to give me another opportunity to be like Jesus. And it's the adventure of a lifetime. And I just believe if we could learn this one principle alone of truly reflecting His image, of abiding in His presence, that things like, you know, fear of anxiety, fear, insecurity, frustration, disappointment, success, failure, whatever all that stuff is, that stuff just sort of goes away, you know. By the way, a lot of that stuff's killing our churches. Especially this idea of success and failure. In Christ... You are success, right? You are a success. Because life then becomes about abiding in God's presence as Jesus lives his life through me. It's not about my life. It's about Jesus living his life in me and through me. In him, I am not defined by what other people think about me. I'm not defined by the situation I find myself in. I'm not defined by my job. I'm not defined by my circumstances. As I've said before, I'm not defined by the church. I'm not defined by the ministry or any other temporal thing that may press itself in upon my life. None of those things are why I was created. You know why I was created? To bear his image. That's all. Man, Christianity gets easy when you just fall in love with Jesus. <laughs> to bear his image. That's why I was created. You were born to be an image bearer. And when you learn to do that, then your life becomes as good as he is in you. And man, it doesn't get any better than that. Finally, I, I want to say this. Agape becomes the identity of those who learn to abide. I think abiding is the greatest spiritual discipline that we can learn. In fact, every other discipline points to abiding. Every discipline points to abiding. First uh, John 4, 7 again. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows, intimately knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God. In other words, if you're not loving, there's, not, there's a lack of intimacy between you and the king. For God is love. And by this, the love of God was manifested in us. Made known in us. Tangible. There's fruit of it. So, so when we learn to become agape, things like Worship services. You know how many people go to church because they're consumers? I'm going to get on a rabbit trail here, and God help me. We live in a day of consumerism, and it's true in the church. The church is filled with consumers. That's why we see so much church hopping going on. If God's called, the only reason anyone should ever leave a church is because God's called them. The Holy Spirit has led them to do a new thing, which is why I hope you're here. 
That's why I hope you're here, because God's leading you to do a new thing. Not because you don't like the music down the road. Or not because you don't like the length of whatever down the road. Or because you don't like the way somebody leads or preaches or whatever down the road. Or, or some committee maybe you were a part of where your feelings got hurt. Or some personal opinion or, or church project or, or whatever. Because let's just face it. We allow all those things to affect us. And what that, when that affects us negatively, any of that stuff, all it means is that we're not abiding in agape. Y'all know what agape is, I mean. Uh, we, we speak of love in, and we depend on context to understand what we're saying. Um, gr the Greek language does not do that. Um, you know, if I say, hey, Brad, I love you, brother, and I say, Heather, I love you, those better not be the same kinds of love, all right? <laughs> I'm in trouble if they are. But, but you know, the, the Greeks use words like eros and philia and storge. And, you know, eros is the romantic sort of love. And, you know, Cupid with the arrow on Valentine's Day. It's a love that, eros is really a love, it's pleasure seeking, right? It's a love that, that takes. And, and then you've got philia love. It's a brotherly sort of love. It's a friendship love. It's a love that gives and takes. And storge love, that is a, a, love, a parental sort of love. It's a love that is prejudice, if you will. In other words, it, it leans towards its own. In other words, you're willing to do stuff for your kids that I'm not willing to do, right? And so, but, but God's love is agape. God's love is not a love that takes. It's not a love that gives and takes or, or is prejudice. It is a love that just gives. It is sacrificial in every way. It's all in. Self-sacrificing no matter what I love you. That kind of love can't be offended. That kind of love has a hard time being down. That kind of love has a hard time uh, uh, being hurt. And you know what? I, I preach in a lot of churches this, this type of message, and I hear a lot of amens. And, and then I go to board meetings, and I see that there's something negatively affecting that we've got to deal with. And, and I say, you know what? If we really understand abiding in agape as the body of Christ, we wouldn't be so broken and offended over things all the time, right? Why would we spend one minute talking about anything in the past if we're abiding in Him right now? Does that, I, hope, I hope that makes sense to you. I hope you understand where I'm going with this. I mean, why do, we, why do so many Christians remember wrongs like they happened yesterday? And we say, oh, well, you just, you just don't know what I've been through. You just don't know. And I say, well, obviously, you don't quite understand what Jesus went through to set you free because you're not free. I'm glad Jesus didn't complain. It's hard for me to even imagine him complaining. All I ever did was good for those people and they ran me right out of town. Can you believe them? I healed the whole town and they drug me to the ed edge of town and kicked me out. Can you believe they chose Barabbas over me? He's a stinking murderer, man. God, I'm done. I'm not going to cross. I hope that drives the point home because I feel kind of weird even saying it. <laughs> because I can't even imagine him. And so if he's living his life in me, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Jesus lives his life in me. <laughs> you see, Jesus doesn't have issues with any of this stuff because he is agape. Amen. And when we become agape, 
we won't have issues either. I don't know about you, but I don't have an enemy. Not from my end. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to allow the cycle of sin and the dysfunction in people's lives to make me the same as I was before I met Jesus. I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back there. I don't think we should allow circumstances and people to decide who we are when He's already settled who we are. You're at King's Church because you are children of the King. We're going to gather around His banquet table in just a little while. This is much more than a Sunday morning gathering. This is the King's kids getting together to adore the King and spend some time in community with Him. This is a party. This is a royal gathering. Don't let anybody tell you different. If we can get to that place... It won't matter that our dad was an alcoholic. It won't matter that that uncle did some things to you that it won't matter that that spouse left. I know that stuff sounds hard, but seriously. You're not defined by any of that. Do you hear me, church? You are not defined by any of that stuff. I think when when we get caught up in that stuff, what happened to us rather than what he's done for us, what, what we're really communicating And I hope I'm on the right track with this, but what it seems to me that we're communicating when we get caught up in what's happened to us rather than what he's done for us is that the cross isn't enough. I believe the cross is enough. I don't need anybody to make old wrongs right because he's already made everything right. I don't need anyone to, 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 to come to me and have to say the right thing because he's already said the right thing. <laughs> hmm. None of that stuff defines your life, friends. And being restored to his image and likeness and living every day with his agape flowing through you, that is all that life to the fullest is about and in Christ I can look at anybody that's ever said a wrong word to me or done a wrong action toward me and I can look at them with compassion instead of contempt and that is freedom that is freedom brother can you can you come play um, When I was a teenager, I'm reluctant to tell some of these stories because you're new to me, but I'm just going to be real raw here, okay? I was, <laughs> I was far from God as a teenager. When God saved me, he did a radical work in my life. Like, I was a bad guy. <laughs> you understand? Like, in trouble with the law and, you know, fighting and, uh, you know doing things I, I shouldn't, you know, drugs and alcohol, and this life just really had a stronghold on me. I rebelled against the church and my family, and 
left home at a young age and and on November 19th, 1989, man, God got a hold of me, man. The king's chariot pulled up and took me to the king's palace and I met Jesus, you understand? And, and, and I mean, he, he just transformed me, he turned my, and it's been, oh man, it's been a, a journey of transformation. It's, it didn't all happen overnight, but I've just been chasing him ever since. I mean, I just love him so much. But when I was a teenager and far from God, after I got saved, God said, now you don't need to chase down everybody that you've ever had any wrong dealings with, but if I bring them into your life, then you be man enough and willing to make them right. And so there was this one guy in particular that his name was Richard and we, we got, let's just say we had a run in with some law enforcement at one point in our life. And we were both taken in and, and you know, they put you in different rooms and they question you. And, and when he was in his room and I was in my room, uh, we both were blaming, you understand? Like it was his fault and he was my, and when we left there that day, we, we went from being really good friends to being enemies because we shifted the blame. So, so now fast forward, fast forward 10 years, a decade later, and man, I've met Jesus, and now I'm a, a pastor, at a, at a youth pastor at a church, and man, it, my life's just been transformed, and it's all about Jesus. I haven't seen Richard, I've prayed for him, I've thought about him, but I hadn't seen him in a decade. And one day I'm getting out at the post office, a shopping center much like this one, and, and I'm on one end of the parking lot, and I notice from the other side, there's Richard walking toward me. And, and, and time, as time would arrange it, we come face to face right at the entrance. And, you know, I thought to myself as he was walking towards me, knowing him 10 years ago, this could have been bad. <laughs> you know? I was prepared to be Jesus no matter what, though. As we met at that door, we just sort of looked at each other for a minute and I said, Hey, Richard, man, what's up? How you doing? He said, I'm doing all right, Brian. How about you? I said, man, I'm doing really good. I said, you know, I, I feel like if I ever saw you again, I would need to tell you some things. And I just began to tell him that I was sorry for all the garbage that happened in our lives and that had caused that rift between us. And I told him that the Lord had saved me and that I'd answered the call to preach and was a youth pastor at my church and as I was telling him that tears was welling up in his eyes and when I got done he said man that's that's so good he said man I got saved too and I'm the youth director of my church <laughs> we just put our hand on each other's shoulder and we prayed together I ain't seen him since. But that is the manifestation. That's what we gotta be, man. That's what I wanna be. You know what, I'm not always perfect at that. I don't want you to, to think that I'm saying I am. I'm not, but I wanna be. I wanna chase Jesus with all of my heart every day of my life. So when those things happen, I can be Jesus. Richards, the Richards can see Jesus in me and I can see Jesus in the Richards. Would you stand with us? Your pastor is going to come. But before Pastor and Megan come, we're going to have communion, which is a great way to end 
this. What I would like to ask you is just to bow your heads with me for a moment. And, and I like for us to bow our head and close our eyes. Not just because I don't want to put you on the spot, but because I want you to not be distracted. I want you to have a you and Jesus moment. And if there's anything going on in your life right now where something from your past is defining you, it's pressing in on your life, I want you to ask, I want you to invite God into that and then ask Him to remove it. First, invite Him into it. You don't remove it on your own, He does. And what happens is when He's trying to fill our life, we allow those things to take up space. And that space is his space. And sometimes we don't even realize we do it. It, like, it. it just sort of creeps up on us. You know, that's how the flesh works. The flesh is always trying to live. But right now, just uh, present yourself a living sacrifice again. I, th I, think, <laughs> I think Luke's rendition of uh, uh, Luke, Luke 9, where he says, Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. The word daily is so important. So just crucify that flesh again right now. Give it to him. Lay it on the altar. The altar is right there in your heart. Whatever that thing is that's pressing in on your life. And now accept who you are in Jesus. Say, Holy Spirit, fill me. I am a much-loved daughter of the King of Kings. I am a much-loved son. Fill me. I don't want your image to be tarnished in any way in my life. I want to bear your image with purity. Purity of heart and life. Completely, fully I surrender. Fill me again. Fill me again. I lay this down. Fill me again. And maybe there's, I don't, I don't know everyone here, but maybe there's somebody here that's, you're not even where you need to be with Jesus and the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart right now. That's, you know why? I told you at the beginning of the sermon. Because He loves you. He, that's the wooing presence of the Spirit. He's drawing you because He loves you. And the way you realign your life with His presence is through repentance. And that should be a lifestyle. So, so go ahead and repent those things right now. Turn from them. Change your mind about them. And say, I surrender again to you today, Jesus. Lord, we love you. We honor you. We praise you and we thank you for what you're doing here at King's Church. God, I, I pray for your anointing on Pastor Brad and Megan. Lord, I pray you would flow through them un, uninhibited. No pretense, God. Not bogged down by the work of the ministry, but God <laughs> flowing in the power and presence of Jesus. And for Brother Brian and Heather, God, the same prayer. Same prayer. And for these precious people, God, may they start a fire right here in this place. It reaches the ends of the earth. We love you and we honor you. In Christ's name, amen.